clearer mirror upon the wall. I'm asking you, who is the most confused of them all? And I'm willing to bet that is me. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this discography blast from the past. Curated by me, myself, Tracy Newport. And with me on his journey are my brothers in arms, Ben, Gabe, and David. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? I feel like I've heard it all before. Just slightly. David, Ben? How you doing? I think David may have frozen, but I'm doing well. I froze? No, I said, how are you doing? And you just... <laughs> yeah, we emotionally locked up, man. It was too serious a question. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You know, we're doing, <laughs> doing mud day it's things. The, it's the genre, guys. That's what's doing it. It's the genre that's doing it. You're, you're getting all clammed up now. <laughs> Too many things going on at once. You let it all out yeah. while you're listening to uh, the blast. And I mean, uh, you you slap bass that hard, Gabe. It's hard to recover. Right. <laughs> you're it's picking just, up pancakes like I am. You're, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm flipping them. I'm picking them up. Yep. Yep. If you if you can't tell, ladies and gentlemen, this is we are doing a blast of Mudvayne. Uh, we previously did LD50, so we are doing the other four albums they have released in that. So we will officially check another entire discography off of the uh, to-do list here at Thunderdome. And this list is the end of all things to come, lost and found, the new game, and our self-titled finale Mudvayne. Yep. So the end of all things to come, their second studio album released on November 19th of 2002. Uh, runtime of 52 minutes and 22 seconds, released on Epic uh, Label. Produced by David Botrill. The band was Chad Gray on lead vocals, Greg Tribbles, guitars and backing vocals, Ryan Martini on bass, and Matthew McDonough on drums. It's not where they chud, hud, fud, and dud, or whatever. I know that they, yeah. when they, they keep <laughs> they, doing that until I think album three. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. With their alter egos, with the their yes. entire paint setup. Indeed. That, was this, what is everybody's prior experience with Mudvayne prior to this blast? I think Gabe may be the only one this was yeah, let's, Virgin Ears. Let's start with new metal super fan Gabe Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this at all. Um, I wanted to ask before we get into all this, Tracy, um, what possessed you to pick this? Mike, I'm I'm asking because it's got to be more than you wanted to check off this discography from our uh, from our vast list of things that we haven't reviewed. Um, and I know you did their first record some sometime before I joined. Oh, it was um, even before same. David joined. Yeah, I wasn't was, even on that ride. God, that was like 25 so, years ago. Why, why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the scholars people asking is kind of like, what bands can I do? And honestly, if Mudvayne had to continue producing albums, they would probably still be, they'd probably be up there with Star Symmetry and Mastodon in terms of where I rank them in terms of favorite bands, just based off the work that's released on these five albums. So I'm really a big fan of these bands. I'm sure sure my I don't quite know if I'm a, a David super fan level. As like a brand loyalty, not with that attitude, with brand loyalty. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there were probably a half a grade to a grade, probably increase on most of these albums compared to probably your grade, if not Ben's. Yeah, I don't know what holster is coming out tonight, but we're through it to see. But Ben's playing it close to his chest right now. Yeah, because um, but yeah, like I've, I really fell in love with this band. 2003 2004 so around the time of the end of all things to come and like i enjoyed ld50 and what could get off of the 
the all things to come. And then like lost and found really kind of sunk its claws in me when it released. In fact, I remember, oh, my senior year of high school, like happy was like when I was playing football and stuff, happy was my go-to song to listen to, like to get hyped and in the zone. So yeah. But yeah, I mean this is a a fun discography blast. I'm like, I need to check this list off. Ben, you knew them quite well, right? Even if you weren't a super fan. So I knew the first album pretty well. But you know, the uh, the later albums, I basically kind of knew the singles. Like I, I hadn't hadn't really spent a whole lot of time with with the the other albums especially not the later ones like the second album i can i knew more of than the third and fourth album interesting i listened to the shit out of ld50 and i saw that tour they opened for i think it was seven dust and that was one of the moments where i like i got to meet the band and talk to chud chad chewed whatever he was at that moment <laughs> he was out of makeup at the time so you know, I was literally right in the middle of that scene. And this sounds like so many other fucking shit I've inflicted on you. Like, with listening to this, I'm like, oh, nothing face. Okay, I see it. In terms of some of the, you know, we reviewed a few of these lately. You know, the new Jope album. I'm like, okay, I get it. I know how we got here. Um, But I had every album but the last one. So I may be, well, not a super fan. Maybe Tracy's only hope. And so far as actually, yeah, I like these albums too. I sort of, I sort of forgot about them. Uh, and and then, as I said, I got off the ride before that last one and um, whatever it is, nine. Yeah. And that was, sorry, I was going to say that this is kind of like I got off the ride in, in a sense, like I listened to everyone as they came out. But like about 2011 until like, I think they weren't even on streaming to about 2014, 2015 around the area. So like between, that four-year gap there, like, I didn't listen to these guys at all, and it took to about my grad school years from kind of start falling back into rotation again. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember these guys and stuff, and I think that part and parcel comes behind also just they didn't, the band officially had died and, like, died of, like, been sacrificed to the gods for hell yeah, <laughs> if you want to yeah, say for sure. that. Which is part nothing face. It's like two-thirds yeah. nothing face, two-thirds uh, mud vein, and one and 16 and, thirds and one fifth and Eddie Van Halen. I wish so. Uh, yeah, I mean, like LD50, uh, to set up tonight, I gave that back when we reviewed it back in the first year an A minus. I was quite a big fan of give it. that album. That's what so, I would give it. And then it, it's, it spins out. And I think that we will see as we talk about these albums that it becomes, which is interesting because a couple of them I think were recorded at the same time it becomes more accessible uh, and and because of that, in my opinion, less good, but we can certainly talk about that. I mean, they were very popular there for a while. I mean, they were a, they a were. big band. Yeah. No, they dwarf most of the bands you review if they're not Limp Bizkit yeah, or, like, or Metallica. I feel like they, they, they also kind of hit at this strange point to where I think it was that these all, I think besides one fall in between that gap between Ronald Rollis in 10,000 days. And so like it kind of like they fell into like this scratch itch for a lot of tool fans who did not get their tool could who had nothing to fix their tool itch. This Maynard's a dick. I love Maynard, but also a dick. No album for you. I'm gonna face away from the audience and not talk to you. It's it's Gabe and Ben's favorite kind of performance. Mm -hmm. 
Right, just pissing on the audience. <laughs> like, thanks, asshole. Sorry. This is where Maynard now beats my ass the same way uh, Glenn Barnes is going to kill Ben. Well, the, the comment about Tool is really interesting. Sure. Um, because for me, I think this first album is somewhat of an auspicious start in the sense that it is the most interesting of the records. And that is because I think they're doing something like what Tool is trying to do. And I'm going to, I would say like the vocalist is really trying to channel Maynard. He's not really able to do it, but that's what he's trying to do on a lot of this. And the compositions, they're not near as complex or mathy as what Tool did, but um, these guys are trying it on. And they're also trying on the dynamic work that, that Tool does. It's not to say that like they want to be that kind of band, but they're really leaning on that. Um, what I think is unfortunate is that um, they depend on that, um, that beginning to play around with this prog stuff to create a groove for them. But you have to build a groove. You can't just like expect it to arise. So like I think that's that was sort of like my issue with it, but also like the really interesting part of it for me, because it's not just the new metal stuff. It's not just yelling or harsh vocals, you know, over kind of groovier beats. And that's cool. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting uh, place for them to go. Those are some interesting comments, because um, I. I... I will agree that they are not as mathematically precise as later Tool albums, but like uh, they are more mathematical than I think Undertow was. So like Tool's coming out party. Well, that's like six and years Chad, before this. Sure. And I think that Chad is, I don't think he's as charismatic or as good of a front man as Maynard, but as a singer, I think he might be a little bit better actually, as far as just the quality of his voice. Um, what this actually kind of reminds me of, in a way, even though there's more members, it's, it's kind of like a King's X or a heavy metal police, um, because all these guys are, especially the bass player, I would say, um, is like really kind of to you borrow a term from wrestling so that Tracy's not the only one who ever does this, getting their shit in. They're like, you know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to lay my stuff down so people know that I'm a virtuoso and, and service to the song be damned. And um, sometimes it works really well and it, it's something really cool. And sometimes it's kind of uh, like a, with a lot of prog stuff, a hot mess. I think in terms of like, if we wouldn't have done LD50 prior, that would have definitely been on this blast and I would have kicked the, the self-title off. Like that would have been the, the one that left out on a four blast because I think... If you listen to LD50, end of all things to come to Lost and Found, you see the their travel, the story, and like how they changed the band from start, middle, and end in terms of like their writing style between the three, because it's definitely like the end of all things to come feels like it's a amalgamation between Lost and Found LD50 to where they've, hey, we're going to do what made us did an LD50, but it's we still haven't quite figured out the full entire like writing process. I think I've been as mentioned and then god back in the early days of doing this podcast like when a band does their debut album they've been working on that material for years and so they've got it down to a science and this is what they've got this is they know it works and that's ld50 direct it all hits and then the end of all things has come is their return to the 
the studio in which they're trying to figure everything out again. And so it's kind of like, well, we're going to do this. They don't have the time to polish it. And the third album where we often talk about getting that masterpiece in is that that's the album where they've got everything kind of figured out. This is how we do it in the studio. This is how we now write in different terms. Instead of spending six years on the road, grinding out this material, perfecting it, we now have four months to do it in the studio. And, and I think they find out what audiences like. Yeah. Because some of those crowds were huge by the standards of the stuff a lot of us listen to. There's a oh, lot yeah, of definitely. umlauts in the shit we put on our schedule. Oh, well, yeah, I think it's also it's also really interesting to me that they do go in this more experimental direction that they're trying stuff out, especially because new metal is not known for much else than headbangability. It's not known for like that kind of stretching out and trying new things on. They don't always work, you know, here, but it's something different. So I think I think that's to be you know, that's to be appreciated or celebrated. Yeah, and to Tracy's point, uh, and I do agree that experimentalization is, is something to be championed. They have said that they only had a month to write this record as opposed to the amount of time they could spend on the first record. Oh, well, that explains quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I mean, Ben, I respect your opinion, of course, but I, I also don't think the vocals are very good at all. I mean, I think this album, he's still kind of getting his feet but the clean vocals sound off key like most of the time <laughs> it's like kind of kind of terrible to, and it, it ruins some of the songs for me personally um yeah i mean I, I i agree with that um and i was just thinking of him as a his career as a vocalist including stuff from like damage plan not necessarily just the stuff that he's doing in uh-huh. and i didn't make that clear um so i do think that this album is one of his weak, weaker vocal performances but just thinking of him as a vocalist as compared to Maynard and like comparing their bodies of work across all the bands that they're in. I think um, he has a better sense of melody than Maynard. He's Not certainly he a, here. He's certainly a much better vocalist by the time he's in Hell Yeah. Or some of these later albums. I mean, he really, uh, you know, I won't go as far as to say he's better than Maynard, but he is much better than most of his peers were. Just thinking yeah. about we don't have to list them off, but you know, bands that were somewhat like this, um, he's he's just better yeah. and very distinctive, which helps. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And you know, here, you know, talk about this album in particular. It's interesting when you look online because a lot of people rank this as their favorite, which is a very like because this I, I know. is I saw because this one's always kind of been the one that was like of their first three, it's kind of like missing something, in my opinion. I think it's the hits, man. I not to jump into talking about tracks or anything, but when we get to them, there are some like tracks that were really big for them. Uh, probably the biggest of their career, um, at least if, if I think of radio play and what I was hearing, which doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just you know an apocryphal story. But like you know, when I hear them now, a lot of times it's tracks off of this album. Though the really monstrous one is from the next one, "Happy Now." In terms of the. Uh... You know, let my kid go to Florida State, my or whatever has happened. <laughs> like that one, I think. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, is that bigger than what world so code? Or not falling? I mean, they, yeah, they, maybe not that one because of uh, freaking saw and ghost ship and yeah, sure. <laughs> like, I mean, they they definitely had a few of those out tracks off this album and the this run of the first three fall on those that category. Of, Soundtracks better than the movie soundtracks. Sure. I think part of it is this is like 
if you want to talk about it, similar to me in mind of like Anamam, to where I think they probably have higher highs, but the lower lows, like the deep cuts on here, are not near as good. But I do want to say Ryan Martin, Martini's base on this album went through all of them are just fucking fantastic. It's another like interesting thing about new metal is like when you have those really finessey basis basis, all they do is slap and pop the entire time. <laughs> There's nothing else that they do. Uh almost to exclusively. He he's very good at it. I, I wish he would try something else though, sometimes. Uh, because I, I believe him that he could do it. Lap it. That's what I was saying. <laughs> like he's just he's coming at you hard. Yeah, he was definitely like challenging to flee and let's play Claypool. <laughs> yeah, really, not as good as either of them, um, or at least maybe straight up like bass playing he is. But like, I don't, I don't think there's something missing from his play style that, that they have. His is more frantic, so it's like again, that's a service song. Um, and to, just uh, I checked and at both the Spotify number of plays and um. YouTube, and you're right. Happy is much bigger than the the tracks on this album. Yeah, that thing went monster. I mean, it like was pop charty. Is it representative of what they do? Kind of. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. I mean, I guess it well, sort of is. Yeah. Well, they do so many point. different things. It, yeah. Sure. More yeah, or less. Why not? <laughs> why not? I mean, it's it's not as bad as like the one power ballad that like a band would put out, and then like everything else would be not that power ballad. But it's it's not that far off from it. I just want to say the expected payoff on a Spotify track is what point zero six is like point six cents a sound on a play with a play right on just happy alone. And that's to the artist on just happy alone. They got paid enough money to send their kids to college for like whatever. That's what I said. Like my kids go to Florida state or I don't know where their kid went. um, Just But the point is, yes, I figured that was college levels of money. For band payout alone on that track, it's $943,201. Well, good, because almost everyone else makes enough to go to fucking Waffle House and get a waffle. Well, and they also, you know, made money off the albums back when you could do that. Too, oh, yeah, have... definitely. Like, they're, they're set for they life. Three they three platinum albums, but anyway. They're, they're set for life if they didn't spend it all on drugs. That's the... Mm, couldn't say. Probably yeah. did. It, some of them did, some of them didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know much about their life after, in the between time, the like 10 years between. Are they headlining now when they tour? Yeah, yeah like they, I they think are. they were one of the ones that headlined louder than life. Sure. Or they were going to headline it and then they got COVID and couldn't. I remember reading Oof. somewhere that Chad Grace somehow managed to fall off of singing Not Falling on stage. Yes, I read that too. And he's like, the irony's not lost to me on this. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, speaking of following, do we want to talk about tracks or tell us what all your favorites, Tracy? Um, I'm just gonna say well, it's my least favorite of the first three. I'm still gonna say all of them. Oh, that's what I was waiting for. Then I thought you were going a different direction. Okay, there it is. Okay. I can go next. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Gabe. I liked uh, Silenced. It's a good opener, and it's super interesting in terms of the rhythm and the vocals. I liked uh, Mercy Severity. Uh, I liked Shadow of a Man. It really helped me to think of this album as a prog metal album and, you know, like a Tool album. It just really helped me. And that that track, Shadow of a Man, is kind of like that. 
Um, and I also thought um, Keaton, nothing was okay. So, you know, as a uh, front runner that I am, I like the two singles, Not Falling and World So Cold quite a bit. Um, I like Salt, Ed Coagula. I, uh, Silence is pretty decent. Uh, and the end of all things to come. I don't have a lot to add. I mean, you know, not falling, mercy, severity. It's Salve et Coagula. I like that song. Chavo Man's okay. It ends so so. I feel like they have trouble ending albums consistently. I'm not sure there's any of these that close as powerfully as uh, they could. I don't know. Part of it is, I guess, they're trying so many different things. How, how would you even end this? With random noise, probably. That's mm-hmm. the only thing they could do. Well, Rob Zabadi would end it with like some sort of, I don't know, murder porn from the Sabbath days, just playing over, over you, giving it a day. They, they could have ended it with 1297, 2499. Why? Why? They could have ended it with Scrying because it's like the least like musical track on the entire album. Like, I think that the sequencing could have used some work. Maybe that would have that would have helped too. Maybe. So that makes us to their third album, Lost and Found, released on April 12, 2005. Runtime of 53 minutes and 29 seconds, still on Epic. Dave Fortman, who I will add parenthetically here, was the guitarist for Ugly Kid Show, uh, produced this album. The band, David Gray, lead vocals, Greg Tribble, guitarist, backing vocals, Ryan Martini, bass, and Matthew McDonough on drums. And they did have some additional vocalists come in, Devon Fortman, Aaron Fortman, and Lee Germanaro to add additional voices on choices. So I think this is the one where they kind of make a much more turn towards commercial appeal. Like you can't, you don't really discern that off of the first song, but like the rest of them, I think it kind of, it's much more commercial appeal than the first two albums were overall. Yeah, I don't know the first album, um, but what I would say is that they leave all the prog nonsense behind and they focus on really just the heavy riffs, um, melody, and the singing is much more on key. And like they get like the the tropes of the genre, but they do it in a way that's still interesting, I think. Yeah, this feels a lot more focused. Um which does make it more accessible. Um, if, this is also the one that has the song off the soundtrack for what was it? Saw two. Saw two. The reckoning. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think they wrote that song first for the movie, and then it got added to the song. And then they added an album on it. Sounds about <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do think that this is a much more cohesive album, uh, partially because that instead of like you know, using a randomizer or just playing in a bunch of different genres because we can, they did dial a lot of that back. So it's less experimental, but more listenable too. Yeah, I think I like this better. Maybe not than LG50. I I know I don't, based on the grade I'm going to give it, but I like it more than the album that came before it. I think this one's probably the strongest one of the four tonight. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's the... I guess there was technically an EP before LD50, but if we're going with LPs, I think Tracy's theorem about third album holds here. And just them sort of figuring out the formula. And I didn't mind the prog elements 
and I too miss Tool putting out an album that period. I think you're very right, Tracy. But um, I don't know. I, I wanted heavy riffs, heavy riffs, and riffs in the space time continuum. And um, I, I'm with Ben on both him being good, but also vocals kind of being a deal breaker. And uh, they're much better here than either of the previous albums, or I think to some degree, even certainly, I think they're better than maybe the last one. Like there's a lot going on when they made that album. They couldn't even come up with a creative name. This one's always been a favorite of mine of theirs. And it's always been as I've gotten older, if like you'll fluctuate as time's gone on between which I like more awesome founders LD50. Currently LD50 kind of leans more into favoritism side than this one. But I mean, even this is but I think if you're Definitely, these are the two best works, and I think it's just enough that they still maintain. I think what you like, e mud vein sound, but like also adding with heavier riffs to make it a little more coherent. Because I mean, LD50 especially, it's like, hey, we're gonna play a song, and then like thirty seconds in, we're gonna change it to play a different song, but it's gonna be the same song, and we're gonna loop back around on it. <laughs> yes, that. And I think that's kind of pulled back here to where it's much more streamlined, and you can definitely tell them in writing and how much more this album just kind of flows together one through one. But I don't think there's a weak track on this entire thing. I think they're all fantastic. Get that ready for whatever we talk about it. But yeah, this is just album. I think it's just uh, slaps entirely. Yeah, I agree. Well, in this album, go ahead, David. I was going to say, as repeating my own dumb self, I, I think this is the best of these four. Yeah. This one, uh, in comparison, at least to the last one, and we'll we'll see how it goes in the next two. Um, they sound more like a band. There's not as much to me anyway in listening to it uh, of people trying to just get their shit in. And the songwriting is so much better on this album than it was the second one, even though that there are like a couple of tracks off the second album that I, I dearly love. But um, this one as an album, I think is much, much better. Yeah, there's no question that this is more polished than the last was. I have sort of a random question, but what do you guys think of these guys' politics? Like, do they have a politics? And like, what do you think they're actually writing about? So Chad Gray is supposedly a nihilist, or at least he was supposedly a nihilist for the early albums at this point. And then in Hell Yeah, I I wouldn't venture to guess what his politics are. Centrist liberal, which no explaining what that would be today. Future casualty, <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think they think they're somewhat subversive, if that makes sense. Certainly in those early albums. At this point, mm, I don't know. They seem sad, or to be choking people. I don't, I don't know. It's not overtly political in the way that some of their competitors were but i don't know i, I don't we don't just get into this how politics worked in the 2000s well you know and, and also uh, as many musicians themselves have said it's kind of hard to you know um what's his name from machine head um rob flynn, rob flynn? yes thank you you know, he can't write songs like he's 25 anymore. And granted, this is only three albums in, but they'd had an enormous amount of success. So like the, you know, to Tracy's point, life changing success. And that unfortunately does change some people's politics because it gets when you are so fully enraptured sure. into the 
into the machine um, to quote Maynard here, because we keep talking about tool, you become the man. Yeah. So you can point that fucking finger up your ass. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I think Chad's grace politics probably changed host Mudvayne when he got into hell. Yeah. Cause like those get a little more country rock is the best way I would describe it in some of those songs, but I don't know. I, I don't think they're quite here if they are anything, but I think they're just kind of more, this is the last PC album of the three we've done or the three we've done so far before we get into the other two. Yeah. If anything, I think for them as white dudes who are fairly successful, it was more um, politics as philosophy and not uh, lived reality. Yeah. I mean, it seems pretty unfocused to me what they what they say they do have like you know a couple of songs on each album that are um making some kind of political statement but they're fairly fairly vague and fairly pessimistic um not to say always nihilistic but like yeah like you know this album in particular like the idea that democracy doesn't involve choice um which you know you can be cynical about it but then you actually have to look at the reality to make an argument um yeah but anyway, yeah, it was it was just interesting to me because it's like really an outlier for them. Like they don't actually write that much about it, um, but it does come up in a noticeable way. Yeah, you know, it, I think, and I'm, we've talked about this before with other bands, but this is all like post nine eleven too. And I think that making, Indeed. you know, anything too far from the center as a political statement was a dangerous career move. But obviously not for these guys, because they had, you know, obviously had some success and felt confident in doing something like that, whether or not it's like a real, really good political statement or a really strong one sure. is another question. But they they obviously felt confident enough that it wouldn't hurt them. It, but like you're not getting some you're not getting no corporate adventure. Freedom is a state of mind after 9-11. That's never happening. Not in any way they were willing to push. That's what. Should, that's what I meant by I don't even want to get into two thousands politics. But that's that's what I meant. Um, yeah, I don't think it's really. I mean, they're certainly not KMFTM or against the machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, or even System of a Down. Who? That's a whole other story. Their politics. Jesus. Well, I would, but on the flip side, um, you know, they're also not fucking Ted Nugent or any of those assholes either so january 6th forever rhymes with biced birth (laughs) (laughs) nice um stuck fucking mojo totally dude yeah um should we move on to tracks all of them all of them twice tracy says you have to trick twice So I don't think all of them, but I will say that I think pretty much the first half of the record determined through falling asleep was pretty good. And then I think um, forget to remember and all that you are also pretty good. Again, they have a little trouble closing the album, but stop the pulling the strings is terrible. It's just, it could have been better. Yeah. I don't like all of these, but I enjoy determined pushing through I am in rain sun gone 
Um, it channels Maynard in a way that didn't really work at all in the last album, but does here. Um, I thought that Just was cool. There's some really, really sweet bass work on it. And I also thought that All That You Are is a really just uh, strong uh, piece of songwriting. Um, it has hooks. It's got melody. It's got a little bit of heaviness. Um, it's really much more impressive than almost everything on the last record. Yeah, I think this album opens uh, pretty strong, stronger than anything since LD50 determined is good. I like pushing through. I probably heard Happy too much. It's, you know, if you're going to cross over into pop, this is what it probably should sound like. Um, choices is a bit silly. I would wince anytime we got the 80 Meaty Money Mo Brigade deployed. Uh, I think Forget to Remember is actually one of the weaker tracks on here. I mean, I know it made the money and was liked. I mean, it's okay. But just, I agree, is fantastic, as is uh, all that you are. Right on, which brings us to the fourth studio album, The New Game, released on November 18th of 2008. Runtime of 43 minutes and 41 seconds. Still on Epic. Dave Fortman and Mudvayne are uh, credited as the producers for this. The band being still Chad Gray, lead vocals, Greg Tribble, guitars, backing vocals, Ryan Martinet on bass, and Matthew McDonough on drums. Are you a fish out of water? Sometimes. This is the last one I bought or heard before tonight. This was the end of the ride. <laughs> Were you like, well, I'm done with these guys after this album, or was it just you? Uh, I didn't. Maybe 2009 was almost too soon to put another album out. I'm not sure I noticed. That's by design. <laughs> I mean, just discreetly. Like, call, yeah, it doesn't even have a name, man. I don't know. I just missed that it had come out, and I'd never heard it. Yeah, I didn't listen to this and decided I didn't like them anymore. As you're going to see, I mean, I like this album fine, but... Yeah. Like, I feel like this is definitely the album where they're like, all right, we did really good with Lost and Found. How can we... Their next step, but how would it go? And it's just kind of like that slight hitch into step. Like, well, it just kind of didn't land. Well, I, I would be interesting because Gabe posed a question before you got on the call, Tracy, that I will repeat here. And I think this might be the inflection point. Does this album cross into butt metal? No. We we did talk about that. Because it's Tracy still absolutely not. It's absolutely you, not because it's still 99% better, written better than all of butt metal. The songs are much more uh, intricate. Well, Limp Bizkit is butt metal. And I would say that they have written a hell of a lot better songs than are on this album. No, I'm, I mean, I think my mind think you, butt metal is five finger death punch. That's like that's the standard bearer for butt metal. Five yeah, that death genre punch. can't be one band. I mean, as much uh, as we might want it to be. Um, but what I would say is that we have to be on the same page in terms of what we mean by butt metal. And if butt metal, like by definition, is like mainstreamed and like normed, then this is mainstreamed and normed. For, sure. for me like I it just doesn't sound like anything out of the ordinary for this genre it's lowest common denominator it's not um uh not anything beyond that so does that alone make it butt metal no but um maybe it contributes to um like i, I don't think it is because the songwriting is still significantly more complicated than anything that butt metal has released 
Like, I don't think Limp Biscuits butt metal because that falls still, in my mind, the new metal category. Like, well, butt metal is not an official genre. It's just a term that we use we to, made to up. in my <laughs> mind that it's like frat metal, you know? And, and yes, I, exactly. So, frat metal is it frat metal? No. Limp Biscuit. I, no, and I even like Limp Biscuit, but let's not fool ourselves. No, no, Limp Biscuit is definitely frat metal. Um, it's certainly butt metal. Like, if you, it, it would be the memorial. The mausoleum Ben are going to build to butt metal. It would definitely be in there. Fred <laughs> Durst getting pistol whipped. But <laughs> right at the entrance. Yeah. No, this is not. Hell yeah, is. Hell yeah, is butt metal. Interesting. This is mm-hmm. this that, that, that. that is that is where I would probably draw the defining line because I still think this is more complex than anything they've written. Like you won't hear a bass lines off any song on this on any album that's released in the fret metal category. I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Now you could make that argument it's this completely crossed over into commercial metal and like say that it might be too intricate for fully commercial metal, but I think butt metal, like I said, is an entirely different thing. Like I think this is this album and actually one of their most commercial albums for sure, but I don't think they're frat metal. Um tool is in some cases indeed butt metal. Unfortunately, and, unfortunately. Because it's the the fan base that gets attracted to it. It's like yeah. all the dudes who go to Rage Against that. the Machine and completely miss the fucking point. I mean, the problem is that it's a slippery sort of yeah, uh, it thing totally to, is. to use to describe something. What I what I would also say is like I'm completely not qualified to judge whether this is really truly like mainstream new metal because I just don't listen to it. But at the same time, <clears throat> my question is like, do you like this if you're not into that? genre like are you drawn to it whatsoever i actually think the interesting is uh, what would have probably have gone a lot of people like if we're talking dudes and still rap metal but metal what you want to call it as like the inflection point of here i actually think the album that would have pulled them in was ld50 because they were showing up in the face paint and all that shit doing crazy things and guys would be like oh yeah just here we go and like so you would have had to tag along to this album that would have probably got into it. That's probably more LD50 would have been on point there in 99 because they were also part of that when we talked about um Union Underground, like they were also LD50 is one of those albums that got really a lot of push commercially that you saw on MTV. You saw the uh commercials on it, like newest hottest band in metal today, blah 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 blah. And you know, but I still like, but the vast majority of their fans came later precisely when they had songs that were in Saw. I think a lot of them showed up later. I think that would have been like for this. Like, they showed up for this, not for LD50. So like that would have been the like the entry point for Haley. That's who I was literally just like, like, oh no, like, delete there, this, Tracy. That's what I was thinking. Is it's like, I bet Haley probably would just like crank this. I'm not saying it's bad, I like this album, but it yeah, is... this is not like a value judgment on the album so much. It's just a, I talk about the turn of the band, it's a Cinderella story, if ever there was one. No, I don't. So, like, this would probably be their most like on release commercially appealing, yes. Well, like I said, they listened to what audiences wanted. And they're, you know, A&R rep. At least what they thought the audience wanted. Indeed. Because this one doesn't sell super well, but compared to the others. Well, that's what happens if you don't have a song on Saw 7. 
or whatever this one <laughs> whatever it would have been at this the final song. song and and the best song on this album was released on there was the the new song to get you on their like demo live version album maybe so they just another out song they just kind of recycled into something else i mean i really think you can tell because by this point this came out hell yeah was a thing and yes chad gray and, and greg were touring with that and i think you can see like a little bit of the blurring of the lines between the two bands and what is being written here yeah and i think that's that's part of it and i think by this time in the next album like through the writing process on this one and you see it here especially for chad gray greg leaves hell yeah i think after the third album or start gets kicked out but i think as such for chad gray though hell yeah was becoming the primary band unlike you know um with mr bungle when he's like mr bungle's the real band now see you guys you mean <laughs> like Patton, Patton, yeah. my lord and savior when he left right. fake no more well, like mr bungle's the real band chad gray did the same thing with hell yeah but he just released albums on it and so what except for 20 years though mr bungle preceded fifth the more yeah so like i can and Faith and War was a thing before Mike Patton was in it. So I can understand why Mike Patton Me too. was a real band. Um, and to, to be completely fair, though we're not talking about that yet, the material on the self-titled album that comes out next was recorded at the same time as this stuff. Oh, that that explains a lot. <laughs> so wait, so this and the next one were recorded at the same time? Yes. So That's literally. why they came out in eight and nine. So, so and, self, and self-titled is literally the size what was left on the cutting room floor off the sound then because i didn't know that behind it i thought they literally like they're like look we're done and the record was like you guys have another album to do you're not done and like, fine and they got in and like get their self titled out and like we're done see you and just walked away so are you was, speculating that or you know that that's what i thought it happened because oh. as when we get into the self-title i'll talk about like and the subtitle, like, there was no bargain behind it when it was released. Fans didn't know it was fucking coming out. It just dropped. I didn't know it came out. And that, that was it. They didn't market it. There was no well, touring behind it. It was just, here's your album dropped, and you see nothing else from them afterwards. So, a, a, apparently, a quote from the band, it's not a direct quote, but they did push the, the next album, and we're kind of deviating a little bit, but just to, to set the, the record straight on this, they considered the end of all things to come their black album, a la Metallica, and they hoped that their self-title would be their white album, a la The Beatles. That's bullshit. That's somebody just trying to salvage an album. Now, I do Interesting. know... Apparently, when they from November thirteenth, two thousand and nine, Tracy. That's all I'm saying. So you can't say that they didn't promote it at all. Well, when they released this one, apparently when they released their stuff title, apparently the entire album cover was white. And if you put a black light to it, you got the image that you see on the like Spotify, Apple. But apparently, it was like a white album entirely on that one. Uh, I don't think we're talking about like what the album covers actually are, though. Well, Let's that's refer to it as a white album. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I, I'm trying to 14 years of or 13 years of Tracy's story in his head of my face. <laughs> you have like a whole narrative worked out. And whenever I interrogate it, you're like, I just made that up. Like, shit, Tracy. Well, it was it's, like it's like a telenovela. Well, that's just the, the <laughs> I, that's like that's just like the information, like, oh, here you go. Wasn't. 
they weren't really pushing it. Like there was no marketing behind it from the record label. Like maybe Mudvayne were talking about it, but you weren't seeing advertisements for it. They didn't. I don't think they had released actually, if any, like maybe one single off of it. I mean, there was a whole lot of stuff that was coming out on blabbermouth.net around the time of that album, which is a metal news site. So it was getting some stuff being pushed out there. Now, was it like I wasn't buying Metal Maniacs in 2009? And I don't know that this would have been covered in Metal Maniacs. Um, probably not Metal Maniacs, but would have been covered in Kerrang and stuff like that. So I don't know. And I don't remember if this was or not. Well, that- that album isn't as good as Lost and Found. I'm sorry, we're start, we're talking about the next album. <laughs> yeah, we are. So let's let's, let's back up let's for roll one back. second. <laughs> the new game <laughs> and finish the new game before we <laughs> yelling about Mudvayne, Mudvayne. Um, but yeah, to date, I think new game is was there. But sorry, this entire conversation was their most approach to commercially like a viable album, like their most commercial appeal. What they sought with it. Some good songs on it, though. They can play. They can play. I mean, they they execute this convincingly. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not going to launch us into space as a gold record, but I think I'm going to probably grade it more kindly than my peers that aren't Tracy. Probably. Yeah. So, we ready to talk about tracks? Uh, sure. All right. Does anybody want to uh, go first besides me? Yeah, I'll go first. You don't need to get your drinks ready. Um, I think Fish Out of Water is probably the best track. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of others that aren't terrible, like The Hate Me and Scarlet Letters is all right. Uh, Never Enough, I like that. The Deluxe Edition has a cover of King of Pain, which is super awesome, but it's not on this, this album, so I can't really count it. I didn't hear that. I agree Fish Out of Water is quite good. It's like spooky, spooky, scary. I don't know, something about the, the atmosphere because it creates us pretty effective. Um, Hating Me, as Ben said. Doughboy's all right. We the People is one of the better enders, I think. It's still not a thunderous end to an album, but it is, I feel, more effective than the other three. And the, the politics are still kind of stupid, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I also really like Fish Out of Water, and I thought it was... Uh, I thought New Game was okay and Hated Me was also okay. Certified okay, all right. So look it up, it's an album. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I think Fish Out of Water is fantastic. Everything from Fish Out of Water to Yo Boy, I like a lot. Oh, same old okay, but never enough from We the People are, are just okay. But this is one of those albums that's like, I know every song by heart. So I can't exactly be like, none of them. But <laughs> and there's nothing I'd skip on here. So, All right. Which brings us to the album that we were kind of already talking about. Um, the fifth studio album, the subtitled Mudvayne, released on December 21st, 2009. 48 minutes and 17 seconds. Also on Epic, David Portman and Jeremy Parker are the producers the band is still Chad Gray, Greg Tribbled, Ryan Martini, and Matthew Donna. They do not bring in any additional vocalists. To uh, Tracy's point about whether this was supported by the label or not, there are different releases editions of Mudvayne available. A standard edition, a vinyl edition, a deluxe and super deluxe editions. All releases editions featured Blacklight Reactive Ink and super deluxe editions only available through Mudvayne's online store. I don't think you get that many releases 
with that many tricked out ponies and pay Paul Booth to do a, a special cover without some support from the label. Did your albums not have black light reflective paint, Ben? Me? Yeah, I was like, you didn't have white phosphorus in the album cover? No, no, no they did not. Mm. I want to watch the telenovela in Tracy's head about this band. I mean, was Epic fully behind it? Maybe not. But... Well, they, they released one single off this album screen with me. Like they well, did I think, bare that, had more, I think no, that had more to do with sales of the album than anything else. Well, I think it was just compared to probably what they had released prior, it wasn't. Like compared to like Lost and Found and probably the new game, like what they'd got kind of like pushing behind it. Well, they also only sold 34,000 copies in the first week and 14,000 copies the next week. So when yeah. you're epic, that is. And so yeah, sure it's tanking. Yeah. I mean, if it's 11 B sides, I mean, that's what they wrote 20 some songs in a session. And some bands yeah. are that good. Some bands are Fleetwood Mac, but this, I don't know. They're all right. We had this problem with Rammstein, remember? That wrote, mm-hmm. And I, I like Rosen quote, but you can sort of tell, like, uh, somebody told you you had to do, yeah. like, you had to double the length of your thesis yeah. and you padded it. And, and part of it that also makes me think that, that the band is kind of like, here you go, we're out, is because they didn't tour on this album at all either. Yeah. Now, that I don't know. That it's yeah, the totally. fact that they didn't like self fund a tour, and who knows where they are. You, know, you can say that they made a whole lot of money and it's life changing and all that stuff. But doing a tour, especially a big tour for a band like of this size, would be very expensive. And they may not have wanted to foot the bill. And if the label is unwilling to, especially when, and and who knows what the trade commitments were, hell yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. And and I think that's part of it is Chad Gray admittedly moved on at this one time. Because, I mean, hell yeah is a thing. And Chad Gray and then Mudvayne does nothing. Vinnie Paul dies. Within like three months later, Mudvayne's reunited. So, I mean, like, I think it's very much a, uh, hell yeah, became the primary band. That probably feels mind. really good if you're the other three guys in Mudvayne. Yeah, let's see. That's hot. Then you let Bruce Dickinson in, but don't let him write any songs. Yeah. And pee yeah. on his fate. <laughs> and we'll write it. And, and <laughs> to the debate we got into on the last album, I want to quote something from Spin Magazine on the review to this. Oh, no. These guys were once... Uh, flailed like a future prog version of Slipknot, who Sean Crahan served as executive producer on LD50. But now their doomy rifflerama comes equipped with mellow, bellow, butt rock choruses. <laughs> butt rock choruses. There it is. Uh, there it is. There it is. Science. That's scientific. Very scientific indeed. It's a Venn diagram yeah. with butt and metal. And it, <laughs> it, it crosses and... Cross a little bit. I mean, not everything, as as Gabe said, the genre can't just be five figure death punch. I know, uh, you know, and at any all that like, you know, smacking Tracy's theories in the face for no other reason than it brings me joy. Um, <laughs> this album is the least inspired, which is unsurprising. Like, I didn't realize it, it, at first either that this was recorded at the same time as the last album, and. To Tracy's point, if I hadn't read some of the other stuff that I'd read, I would have thought that that was just, yeah, let us out of our contract, mm-hmm. too. So I completely understand why, you know, he came to that hypothesis. And there probably is a li- at least a little bit of truth. 
in it. I mean, I don't know whether they still had more stuff on the, their deal or what. I don't even know what label Hell Yeah was on. I guess I could look it up, but I don't care enough to because they might have been on Epic and Epic might have just shifted the support to that. But it definitely knowing that these are B-sides makes me think of them slightly better because if I thought that this was a focus writing effort, I would have been like, mm, not the best effort, guys. I think it's rare that bands coming unglued makes better albums. Unless you're Fleetwood Mac. Anyway, uh, most of the time, right? But no, you're. There it is, other, yeah. Totally. Other than rumors, I'm just saying that, you know, as I'm just trying to think of an example, we've, there's some bands we like to, oh, Patera, Jesus. At the end, where they're like fucking furious with him, and he's also yeah. off doing side shit. And I mean, some Southern of the magic Gen goes out of the bottle. Okay, but yeah, it's, it's, no, it's not good when you fucking hate each other and not in like a creative <laughs> way and you know, my god yeah. why am i still looking at you after 20 I mean, years didn't they record the great something turn kill like not even together like vinnie uh you know song record all of his all of his vocal parts in a different like across the u.s and the rest of them uh i don't remember you know, like maybe but i mean like that is also it's like when iron maiden half of them were in the bahamas and the rest of them were so it's like somewhere in time yeah um to answer your question ben yes hell yeah release both their self-titled debut and their follow-up album on epic okay so there it is so epic is like oh we sit the principles from this band are still under contract they're just doing something that is much more profitable so they probably did switch a lot of their support over to that and still considered it supporting so stampede the second album came out july 23rd of hell yeah came out july 13th 2010 so it was like in the middle of writing that while they released this one Mm -hmm. so I think that's what my storyline in my head. I like it. It makes sense. There's no other reason to explain it. But rock. <laughs> what is this? But rock. So or what I, I heard. Uh, of, sorry, go ahead. Please, Kev. I was just going to jump in and give my two cents on this record, but also, uh, so I had a, pretty much the same feelings about this last record as I did about the one that we talked about just before. I just, you know, found it to be kind of samey uh uninspired but i wanted to thank tracy for this blast because i learned something (laughs) while doing it and that is i found out what my problem with new metal is um and it's not you know white guys rapping over distorted guitars although that can be the problem sometimes i think the main issue for me is that the emotional range and kind of the depth of the thematic bucket is just narrow and shallow and it's like it just gets really exhausting to listen to groaning about pain for literally almost all of the records. And yeah, you can say the same about other genres too. Um, I was into emo for a little while, you know, as a younger person and yeah, it's not for everybody, but I think that is sort of what I learned here and that, you know, there is important trauma to be worked through here. Um, You know, on the very first record, you recognize that, um, that said, exercising those demons doesn't always make for musical songs or enjoyable songs. And so, like, I think that's that's sort of where I'm at with this genre after kind of experiencing a little bit more of it. Thanks to to all of y'all. Glad we could help. And also, I don't I don't know how I would feel about this band, like especially these two albums coming into them fresh, like New Game and this one fresh. And without being with the sense release, like I think that's part of it as well. So I've spent almost like a decade and a half with these two albums now. Mm-hmm. And so like it's they're even if they're like 
I can recognize, oh, these are great. I still know them word for word. Like they're like those mega thousands we did where it's like, man, this one's not that good. And it's like, I know, but I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, Tracy memorized all the lyrics of this album, and there's no UN. Where was the UN? Nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was on there in the next album. 15 years of waiting. You ready to move on to tracks or? The ones? Um, I'll go first to make it a little easier for you guys. I like Beautiful and Strange, Scream With Me, Poster's Okay. That was my journey. Like the first four is all right, but I think really about that back half is um, just really falls off. Dead Inside's okay. I like Thousand Mile Journey, which you didn't mention. I think it's pretty good. <clears throat> and I think Burn the Bridge is okay. I think it's better than Dead Inside, actually. And maybe should have been the closer. I don't know. So there's some okay songs on here. It's just they're not spectacular. I mean, it really does feel like, you know, we put our best foot forward and that's how we got the new game. And now we also have these songs. All right. They're songs. Look it up, people. They are. As Gabe always says, certified an album, a bunch of songs. Um, I would not pull any of these off to listen to anything or to add to any playlist, and I would ever probably listen to the album again. Yeah, like he burned think... his digital copy. <laughs> Deleted. Um, I I thought that heard it all before was all right, but you know, um. So heard it all before. I can't wait and be on the pillar. Like the only songs I would ever want to listen to off of this album, if I even put it on. Not not super interesting. Yes, grades and now. I guess it's time. All right, the end of all things to come. I did this, so I'll get the first grade. I'm gonna give it a ninety four. Wow, Tracy, out of the gate hot. I'm gonna have to uh, to put some flame retardant pants on for this. Um, <laughs> I didn't hate this album. I also don't think it was the weakest one we did tonight, but I think it is like a full letter grade worse than their debut. So I'm going to give it a B minus. I'm going to tug it up a little bit. <clears throat> I think it's pretty good. I don't like it as much as LG50, which I would have given an A minus the way Ben did. I'm going to give this one uh, an 86. And we're going back down with me, but I think that this is my, actually my second favorite. So this is for fans of the band um, or the genre, so I will give it a C plus. That gives us an eighty-five. Would you buy this album? I would. Didn't I did? I done did it, Tracy. I would just listen to the two or three songs that I like. Yeah, same here. Average of eighty-five. Um, next up, Lost and Found. Would you go first with this one? I'll go first. I thought this was the best of the four that we listened to tonight. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I still don't think it's as good as LD50 was, but I would give this a high B. I also think this is the best of a bunch, and I'm going to give it a B minus. I think it's the best of the bunch, and I'm going to give it a B plus 88. Howards, all of you. I fucking love this album. I'm giving it an A plus. 97. An average of 88. I would buy this album. I did. Yeah, I would maybe buy this one. Havik Sean. I get uh, the tracks that I liked, I think. Some of that Napster talk. In my day, 
We had to buy these on wax <laughs> cylinder. Hey, what about Casingles, man? Casingles. I'm going to send you a damn Casingle from this album. I'm going to find you it. You done did it already. I done did it. <laughs> Shit. It's an empty thread if you already did it. The new game. Uh, low restart with this one. I'll start us off low with a C. And I'll bring us back up with a A minus 91. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring us back down and get a C plus. Uh, I'm going to bring us back up. We're all over the place tonight. I think it is uh, a little better than album two, but not as good as album three. I'm going to give this a BB plus, so an 86.5. I think it's all right. It's an album, y'all. I've graded other a lot of other shit. Yep. Way below this. So yeah, it's 85. I think this is an average of 83. I think I'm the only person that will David did buy it, but I think I did I'm buy it. Would, I think I'm the only one that would buy it now. Yeah, that's probably true. Given my usually my B plus threshold, yes, probably. Yeah, I would not buy this. Mudvane, Mudvane. I can start. I don't think I have yet. Uh I think this is the weakest one. They still can play their instruments, and there's you know there's a few tracks I like. I'm going to give this an 84, which is probably a lot higher than what's coming. Whether you're 84, I mean, I don't even think fans of the genre necessarily like this album, so I'm going to give this a D plus. D plus rodeo, the coldest rodeo. I'm going to raise it up a little bit to a C minus. I I just think it's even less appealing than than the one just before this. And I'm going to come in there just a little above David and give it a B85. Gives us an average of 77. We have achieved the goal of fighting great inflation here at Thunderdome because of me. <laughs> um, I think I'm the only one that would buy this album just for sake of completing the set. So I think you're right. You are probably right. The Dean would mandate that you do so. <laughs> Woot woo. <laughs> Speaking of the Dean, what is he mandated we blast next? He's mandated next that we blast courtesy of Ben an acid bath goat whore mix. Oh, fuck yes. I'd forgotten we were going to dissolve ourselves in fluoric acid in a bathtub. I think there's a few more that come into past that. We're all going into the acid vat. We're going into (laughs) the acid vat. That's exactly where we're all going. I wish there were a song about that, you know, by a guy. I wish that someone (laughs) would just write a song about that. I just have to open their album with it. Big, thick neck. Big, thick neck. Just crushing zombies. Claw machine. Help the kids. Yeah. Mm, Well, that's going to be something. That will be very different from this class. (laughs) It will be. Murders. Anyway, it's... uh, (laughs) Yeah. You know, we try to vary what we're doing here. Thunderdome Metal Reviews. (laughs) Ow!